Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. <laughs> we are in this series, Daring to Grow, and uh, now we are, we are in the second chapter, in the second part of the chapter 6 in 2 uh, Corinthians, and um, today I want to speak about uh, a topic that seems a bit cliche. It's one of those topics that I heard and probably most of us have heard in church since we were younger, and I want to speak about what it means to be unequally yoked. And I know that the first thing that comes to our mind, oh, here we go, another preach on relationships and stuff like this. But I want to focus more today on why uh, does God put this uh, verse and this thing in the Bible. And uh, before we go into it, I just want to read uh, four verses for today. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's quite a harsh verse. And I want to start by saying really what it doesn't mean and what it doesn't say, because we can interpret it really in all sorts of ways. And as I grew up, many people interpreted as they wanted. And sometimes you get the older people using this verse just to stop you from having a relationship with someone you want. That might be a good thing sometimes. But there are also other people who use it to, because they have their own agenda. You know, they say, do not be unequally yoked, therefore do not this or that. So I really want us to understand, first of all, what it doesn't mean and what it doesn't say. It, it doesn't say that Christians should not have any non-believer friends. So we need to make this clear from the beginning. It does not say become a sage monk, go in the Himalayas, see no civilization for the rest of your life, be holy, become a monk or whatever, and do not speak with people. It does not say this. It doesn't say do not have unbelieving, unbelieving friends. Do not, it doesn't say do not, ha, do not have atheist friends. It doesn't say do not spend time with sinners. It doesn't say any of these things. So we need to take it out of our minds already, okay? You can have non-believer friends. It's okay. It's cool. And we'll explain uh, in what, uh, what, what does it mean to be unequally yoked. But know this, that Jesus is teaching and Jesus' actions from the Bible are showing that we should spend time with unbelievers. We should spend time with sinners. He was going, spending time with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, people that was, were regarded as worthless, as nothing, the lowest in their communities, Jesus was there with them and for them. So this verse does not say, have no, spend no time with them. It doesn't say, do not write to them and do not accept their friendships on Facebook either if they're an unbeliever, you know. It, it does not say this and we need to understand it. 
But when we read that we shouldn't be yoked together with unbelievers, we need to consider this in circumstances where significant control over one's actions is willingly given or surrendered to the point that that person, let's say the unbeliever, will influence my actions and my spiritual life. This is what it means to be unequally yoked. It means that I can have friends, but I'll not let them influence the decisions I have. I'll not let them, I make. I'll not let them influence the spiritual life I have with God. It's okay to spend time with them, but they will not dictate the decisions I make in life. They will not influence me to the point where I make decisions that are not according to God's will or God's plan. This is what it means to really be unequally yoked. And for us as, as, uh, as believers, we have a plan that God, because you know God has a plan for everyone and he's got something in mind. So being unequally yoked means that some people will significantly influence the direction and outcome of our decisions and spiritual lives. When it says do not be unequally yoked, it means, guys, there is a plan God has for you. There is a mission God has in, in, in store for you. God has a calling for your life. So the friends I have will not hinder me from, what, from reaching that, that plan and goal that God has for my life. Everything and every friendship, every partnership, every relationship I have in life must be part of the big calling that God has for my life. And I, I will explain it a bit more as we move on. It says, I want to explain a bit where does this command of do not be unequally yoked come from. It says in Leviticus 19.19, You shall keep my statutes. You shall, not, you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall you wear a garment of clothes made of two kinds of material. Basically, seeds of cabbage and seeds of watermelon do not produce the same result. You can try it. If you're doing gardening, you know that it will never work. But I was thinking about how I can illustrate this. How can I show what it really means to be unequally yoked? And I have a quiz for you. Three questions, and I want you to answer, okay? So let's do this. I'll show you some pictures, and you need to tell me who is in there, okay? You can shout it out, no problem. <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> and? <laughs> Vlad, <laughs> Vlad, well done. Uh, by the way, this is Snapchat, face swap, if you know it. Yeah, you can just do a selfie, two people next to each other, and the, their faces are swapped. Okay, so that's yes, Adam Bird with myself, of course. Next one, who's there? <laughs> Tim and Luke? Well done. I don't know whose face improved. <laughs> but I might say that look, like the real look, looks quite natural with Tim's face on, so it's, it's interesting. Okay, last one, it might be a hard one, okay? Who's there? <laughs> No, it's not Caroline. <laughs> I give it too much chance. Okay, it's me. Yeah, one of. There is my body there anyway. <laughs> the Denston. Yes, it's Lucy Fry. <laughs> it's me and Lucy Fry. Like some months ago, I texted her this week and I said, "Can I use the face-off we made two months ago?" Just to make a point in church, and she's like, "Yeah, even though it'll be quite embarrassing for me." But anyway. So, like Lucy, never grow facial hair. It does not look good on you at all. <laughs> but what's my point here? It, it's, it's a matter of influence. Because if I have my face, and let's take in this case Lucy's face, we cannot both together have a nice face. When it says that we should not be unequally yoked, it means that one of them two will influence, let's say the way you look in this case, if you go to Snapchat, or influence the decisions you make. When you mix 
two things that are not of the same nature, in this case, man and woman, facial hair, non-facial hair. When you mix them, something ugly comes out. Both Lucy and myself are quite ugly, you know, in this, in this picture. <laughs> She's ugly because of me. <laughs> so I'm ugly by nature. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm lying. I don't believe this. <laughs> uh, but being unequally yoked, you get the picture. <laughs> because the Bible says, do not, like, even says, do not take your cow and your pig, like, mate, because the result will not be either, you know. Do not take Luke's face and Tim's face because there's like not something nice coming out of it, you know? Sorry, Tim. <laughs> so when we're, when, when we're speaking about being unequal, we're speaking about influence. We're speaking about the fact that the friendships we have in life and the partnerships we have in life, the relationships we have in life, they should not influence me to the, to the point that they are changing my identity, that they are changing my values, that they are changing what I believe in. And ultimately, they will change they shouldn't change my relationship with God and the plan that he has for me and for my life. When I was younger, in high school, like just going to high school, uh, as I said, I was that kind of popular guy going to parties uh, almost every day. And I was, I, I was a believer in God in a way, though I was living a hypocrite life as well. So when I was invited to parties, I, I was always finding the perfect excuse to go. I was saying, I'm going because I'm strong enough. I will not get drunk even though I will drink a bit. Uh, and I will not do other stuff that they are doing. And probably most of the times I was leaving the party being a bit dizzy, if not drunk uh, most of the times. And I remember that every time after this I was feeling so ashamed of myself because I was proclaiming that I believe in God, but my friends and my peer group, they were influencing me so much. They were influencing me to the point that I was drinking more than them because, of course, you are a man, or you think you are a man at that age anyway. And then you're drinking because you want to prove that you can drink more than your friends. And then you just are drunk. And I remember one of the, one of the other the times when I was at this party, and they were bringing some drugs in it and weed and all this stuff. So I said, I'll try it, but I'll not try it too much because I'm strong. You know, the same whatever uh, flawed uh, <laughs> mentality that I had. And I tried it. I was, I was I drunk a lot. And then I, I just wake up the second day on a bed, and I mean, I, there was nothing sexual involved. But I felt ashamed because I didn't remember what happened the whole night. I don't know. And I still don't know, because I was like drunk and high and everything. And that, that, it never happened since then, because I was so rebuked in my heart by God. Because there's something I'm proclaiming, there's something I'm saying to my friends. I was even preaching to them, <laughs> you know. I was that like very uh, on fire for God, Christian. And yet, they influenced me to the point when I was even worse than them after a party. So when we speak about being unequally yoked, uh, you should never do it in your strength. Do not deceive yourself. We shouldn't deceive ourselves that we are so strong. In our own power, we are weak. I am weak, and all of us. So it's a matter of identity. Who do you identify with? There is a plan God has for your life, so the friendships that I have must be part of it. Let's say, like, our, our, our mission in this world is redemptive. It's to speak to people about God, and them being saved, baptized, and having a relationship with God. So everything I do, like my friends, and uh, my relationships, and my partnerships in life, they must be part of this mission. If they're unbelievers, I'm there to speak to them about God. If they're believers, I'm there to grow together with them. So you see, you can have all sorts of friends. That's not the issue. But do not let them influence and change your identity. And I'll explain it as we, as we go on. But I know that one of the things that comes to our minds when, when I speak of God's plan is that, Vlad, like, I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. That's one of the 
things that always comes. I do not know God's plan, so how can I know what sort of friendships I should have? Well, first of all, if you want to know, you can do the GDP course, so that's helpful. You'll discover more about yourself, you discover more about why God created you the way you are, and maybe together we discover your calling, your unique calling. But in the same time, this is not really what we're saying. It is not really true that we do not know what God wants us to do, if we think about it. We know what God wants us to do. We know what he said because we, we believe in the Bible. Because in his word, God is saying to us, this is what we should do. Sometimes we're, we're living in the church and growing up in church, and I know I used to, waiting for that one moment when God comes, kicks, up, kicks us off our horse like it happened to Paul, blinds us and says, this is my will, you shall do this and that. We grow up like this for that one moment, right? Or we're, we're waiting like maybe like Jacob to fall asleep and there's this ladder from heaven coming with angels and everything. And then we wrestle with God and say, God, I'm not letting go until you tell me what to do. So we're having this in mind. Or some of us, like Peter, we're expecting to fall into a trance and then God comes and says, I shall reveal the secrets and the plans I have for your life. But let me tell you, this is not the way it normally happens. It's not the, the usual work day for God to just send voices from heaven and angels to say, this is my will, Caroline, you shall do this or that. It's not normally happening. But in the same time, we know what his will is. We know what God wants, God wants us to do. And we're living for this one moment, and then we live frustrated because we think that the usual work day for God is to just speak out loud or send angels and they can give us visions. And if we don't have that one moment, we say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. So we live very frustrated. And I want to encourage you. You do know what God wants you to do. And I'll tell you even more than this. It's quite easy to discover. God's will is revealed in God's word. It's as simple as that. And we need to understand this, that because of God's plan that we have in our lives, all, all associations in life must be linked to that plan. And I understand that we might not really know what God wants us to do, but until the moment when he will reveal exactly what he wants us to do. It might happen. It, most probably it will happen at some point in life. You just need to look for it and keep on going. But until God says exactly what he wants, he wants us to do, like every step, there is one thing that we should all do as believers, and that is to love God, know God, have a relationship with God, spend time with God. This is the greatest calling that we can have in life. One of the most important things that we should do in life is to get to know God. Because if you don't find God, you'll find excuses. You'll find excuses to do all other sorts of things. So you need to know God's word. This means that you need to read the Bible. And I'm telling you, I, I, it's not like a, a real, a real uh, uh, percentage, but I believe something like 95% of God's will is for us is found in the Bible. That 5% is when he'll maybe say exactly what he wants you to do. So you do know what God wants you to do. And we can discover it. You just need to read God's word. And one of the most important things is love your God. Spend time with God. Know God. Live your life in such a way that you'll get to discover more and more about God every step. Have a relationship with God. Now, if this is God's plan for our life, for our lives, which it is, okay, I hope we all agree, God's plan for our lives is to discover him more, then why, why, what does it mean to be unequally yoked in this context? So I want to show you a table that I made. It's basically the verse. So, do not be unequally yoked means, and give some, some examples to illustrate it for us, okay? Righteousness has no partnership with lawlessness. Light has no fellowship with darkness. Christ has no accord with Belial. I'll explain what that is. A believer shares no portion with an unbeliever, and the temple of God has no agreement with idols. 
Because the verse says, starts by saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then it says, for what, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So it gives an example. It, it starts to show us why. Why am I saying this? I don't want to make your life miserable. It's not about this. God doesn't say I want you to feel a pity. You know? Just I want to explain why. Imagine if righteousness and lawlessness were business people. Okay? They couldn't really partner because they have different unique selling points, first of all. They have different targets in mind. They might have the same target, actually, but they have different methods of operation. If, partnership, if righteousness and lawlessness were partners, they will never work together. Even more than that, they will actually compete against each other because uh, what both righteousness and lawlessness want, it's, it's us. Righteousness says, I want to live a life in righteousness with Jesus. Lawlessness to say, I want to flop your life and do whatever you want with your life. So they can never work together. Just as an example, light and darkness cannot cohabit. They have no fellowship. They cannot share a room. They cannot share a flat. They'll never go and Christian flat share, room share, whatever, and say, I want to live with light. No, like darkness would not look for this. Because it's absurd even to think that light and darkness can exist in the same time. It's really impossible by nature and physics say it is impossible, okay? It, it cannot work. Jesus Christ and Belial, they have no accord. Belial is basically a representation of Satan, okay? In the Bible, it speaks of him. So they will never agree on the same things. Imagine for a second, let's say, that Jesus and Satan are team leaders. And let's say for a second that they are both leading the same team, okay? They're both leaders, equal rights, just imagine for a second. How can they work for the same uh, goal for, for a team? They, are not the, they, they cannot both lead the same team. Because what Jesus wants for his team is to grow, develop, and bring life. What Satan will do for his team is to weaken it, destroy it, and, lead, and it will lead it eventually to eternal death. So it's, it's again, by nature, it's impossible that Jesus and Satan would lead the same team. Because they have different goals in mind, they have different values, they have different vision, and they have different philosophy on what it means to lead a team, okay? And then, what portion serves an unbeliever with unbeliever, okay? A believer and an unbeliever, they do not find satisfaction in the same things. If you imagine that we go to a restaurant, a believer and an unbeliever will be satisfied by different kinds of food, different dishes. A believer finds satisfaction in God's word, in a relationship with God, and he wants to live for God. An unbelievers, uh, oh, God is speaking. <laughs> but as an unbeliever, he does not find satisfaction in God. It's not his target and aim in life to be with God. So they cannot share the same portion. He cannot give them to it. They, some, some, one of them will not like broccoli. You know, it's just what it is. It's again a, a matter of nature and identity, as well. So, the temple of God and idols, that's the last thing, they do not agree on the same things. And then it says this, you are the temple of the living God. So it continues by, okay, unequally yoked, I'll show you what it means, basically that it's impossible that they work together. And then it says that the temple of God and idols, they have no agreement. And it continues to say, you are, so we, believers, children of God, are the temple of the living God. The, the God that is in our lives is living not this. So there is activity and it's a lively thing. So our identity is that we are the temple of the living God. He is alive and he's at work in our lives. 
That's why it's a matter of identity. And the question is, who or what do we identify with? Or if we go more than this, our partners or our relationships or friends, who do they identify with? Think about this for a second. The decisions over whether to, of whether to have a relationship with someone or not must be filtered through the understanding of that person's identity. Who do they identify with? And yeah, this is where I go a bit in relationships, okay? Because I cannot speak about it without relationships for a second. If I am to remove everything from my life, if I am to, to strip everything over, and I go to the core of my life, I dig deep, deep, deep in my heart, what would I find at the core of my life? Who is at the, in, the, in control of the command center of my heart and actions and thoughts and everything? This is the question we should ask ourselves when it comes to relationships. Uh, when I was in Bible college in one of the lectures towards the end of, our, of my year there, uh, one of the directors told us to write, take five pieces of paper and write on them the five most important things in our lives. So we did this, and then he told us, okay, bring one of those papers in a jar that he had in front, and he said, think of it as you're giving it up for the rest of your life. Okay, okay. So I said, okay, we're doing this exercise. It's quite cool. We brought one that was quite easy to do. And then he told us, okay, now bring the second one. And now we're starting to understand that it, he, will ask, he will basically help us to understand what the priorities of our lives are. It was hard, but I brought another one, and we had three more left. And I said, okay, he helped us understand my top three priorities in life, but he did not stop there. So he told us, bring another one. And by this time, we're already starting to feel pain. If you would be in that classroom that moment, you'd feel like you could touch pain, feel pain. That's how it's... So he gave us like five minutes after we took half an hour to think about it. So he said, okay, bring the third one in the jar. So we did it. Then we have two more left. And he said, bring another one. And by this time... We're all crying because we, we took this exercise seriously. We're crying and said, that's not fair. Why, why would you ask us to do this? There were so many tears, so much tears in, in the classroom. We could feel oceans, really. And everyone was in pain. Everyone was feeling heartbroken because you have to bring another piece of paper there. And he coerced us to do it. <laughs> and we did it. And then he told us, look at the paper you have. In your, in, your, in your hand. And he told us that is the most important thing in your lives. And when it comes to relationships and partnerships, if you do this exercise with the one you might fancy, or the one you like, what would that one paper be? Who would they identify the most in their core heart? Who do you think that they will have in the command center of their lives? Who influences their decisions? And they have, who do they live for? And that was like a self-assessment through which we understood what we value the most in our lives. And it wasn't easy. We took it seriously. You can do it if you want sometime. It's painful, but it makes you understand what you value the most in your lives. And when it comes to partnership, it's the same. A godly partnership has the same core identity. A godly partnership says I'll compromise everything in my life apart from God. If I am to renounce and give up on everything I have, I'll have God at the center of my life. And when I did the exercise, it was God, but it wasn't easy at all. It took me an hour or two to just come to the same conclusion, which I agreed in my mind. And when we take it seriously, the question is this, who do they identify with? 
Then it says also, God saying, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. Because the temple of God is the place where God resides and operates. You are the temple of the living God, so this involves action and life. And the temple of God is the place where he operates and resides. He dwells in there and he's active in the temple of our lives. So we are that temple and God lives in us. God has a will for our lives. His home is here, if you want to imagine it like this. He lives and does things in our lives. And then when we think about partnerships, it says there that, I'll show you that. It says, it says that at the temple of God and others, they have no agreement. And I just want to think about Dagon. This is, uh, it's a verse in 1 Samuel 5, 1 to 5. I'll just quickly read it. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So we have these people bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God and his presence, in the temple of a fake and dead God. And what happened is that the temple of God, or God himself, and idols, they have no agreement. And just to show this God, basically cut off the limbs of this God, this God away, and that's like a picture when he fell face off. Because God and idols cannot coexist in the same place. It is impossible. It is not natural. It cannot happen. And just to make a point, God said, I'm going to smash that, that idol. We cannot both live in the same place. And this is a perfect example that God is not going to share his glory with anyone else. God, Dagon was the god of fertility and crops. So, so basically, he was representing uh, prosperity and well-being and wealth. And when God comes in, he's like, this, this god is a dead god. And the question maybe for, for us is, who is the, what do we worship in the shrine of our lives? This is a question. And then when it comes to relationships, we're asking, who do they worship in the shrine of our lives? Let's say that I am to welcome someone in my life. Let's think of relationships. Let's pretend I do not have a girlfriend, even though I do. But let's say I don't, okay? And she's, let's say that she's a non-believer for a second, okay? And then I'm welcoming her in the temple of my life. Remember, you are the temple of the living God, okay? So in my temple, I am worshiping God. I'm living for God. In my life, God operates and resides. He dwells in here. And then she comes. And what I will tell her, this is the God I'm worshiping. But in the same time, she will tell me. So I will step in the temple of her life. And the question is, who does she worship there? So when it comes to do not be unequally yoked, it's a matter of worshiping the true God, because we cannot both worship an idol and God. That's why it doesn't work. That's why we shouldn't really do it. It's not that God wants you to feel miserable. It's more a matter of identity with the real living God. If I am to open my heart to someone, would they worship my God? And if I am to open my heart to someone, would I worship their God? And that is the question that we should ask ourselves. It's not even is she a Christian or not, because they can say they are. But when you look at the core of their hearts, 
are they worshiping the real living God? And when it comes to marriage, relationships, any romantic involvement, this is the question we should ask ourselves. This is the filter through which we should filter every relationship. Who do they worship? I know we're growing. I know we're not perfect. And I understand this. No one will ever be perfect. But do they worship the, the real living God? If someone is an unbeliever and do like the structure and design of the temple, because it, it's okay, no? you, just, you just like it. It looks good. But then when you, when you step in, they worship all other sorts of idols. There should be no question about it. Do, do, not, do not go in prayer and say, God, should I marry them? Because I'm telling you, the answer is no. no. Do not, do, if you fancy someone that is not an unbeliever, that is an unbeliever, there is no, there's no reason for you to take time to fast and pray about it. The, 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 question, the answer is quite easy. Do not be unequally yoked because they do not serve the same God. God is the only real and living God. Everything else is dead or will die and is fake. God is the only living God. And when we worship, we are worshiping the living God. If someone does not worship the real living God, they're worshiping idols. Why? Because all of us are worshiping something, whether we know it or not. It might, might be an indirect thing. Everyone lives for something. Everyone believes in something. And if it's not God, everything that is not God is an idol because God is the only real living God. Again, God will not sh- share his glory with anyone else. God is a jealous God. God wants to love him more than anything else in the world. He will not share the glory with anyone else. If we are confident that our identity is found only in God, then we'll be confident in the decisions we're making in life. If we are confident in the identity we have in God, we'll be confident in the decisions we're making in life. This involves a a decision to be in a relationship with someone. We are the temple of the living God, and we belong to him. And we need to make it our life goal to find him. Otherwise, again, we'll find excuses to be with anyone else. When someone tells you that you shouldn't be in a relationship with other unbelievers, it's not because they want to make your life miserable again, okay? So I'm not saying I want you to feel sorry about yourself and just whatever, waste your life. This is not the point. The, the, the matter is more serious than that. It's about God that lives in you. And it might be that God does not live in them. And do not be in a relationship until they're worshiping God. That's what I would suggest, let's say, okay? Because, you know, sometimes we say... This text doesn't say, do not be unequally yoked, uh, unless you think that in time they will become equally yoked. Okay, it does not say this. It doesn't say, do not be unequally yoked, unless you think you are the exception. Okay, we all think we are the exception. I used to think, and I'm like one of the bad examples when it comes to relationships. I messed up big time, many times. I have my heart broken so many times, and I broke so many hearts in the same time, that it's difficult. So I cannot be a good example, but because I did so many mistakes, I can tell you, Do not do it. Just wait. It's about worshiping God. The decision of whether to be in a relationship or not, it it comes to the question of worship. Do we both worship God? This is the question we need to have. Do you want to share your body, your heart, and your affections with an idol worshiper? I hope the answer is no. So let's not deceive ourselves. There is always something that we are worshiping in the shrine of our lives. There is no gray area. There is no room for interpretation. It's either God or an idol. You cannot serve both. Ibo referred to this verse during the offering as well. So when it comes to relationships, we are asking who are they worshipping. Parents, if I can say this, encourage and persuade your children to fall in love with God before they fall in love with someone else. <coughs> encourage your children that before you let your children go in someone else's arms, make sure that they are living in God's arms. 
That is the most important thing. That is the priority of every parent in life. Before I let them live in someone else's arms, I want to make sure they're living in God's arms. Because the decisions of whether to be in a relationship or not, it will be easy after, if they have a relationship with God. Make sure that they're experiencing His love. Be an example. Lead them. Show them. Do not be quick to just let them go in relationships. And I know, like, I'm not a parent. I cannot have loads of authority when I say this. But I'm saying as someone who did loads of mistakes. Before living in someone else's arms, I want to make sure that I live in God's arms. Before I open my arms to any other girl, I want to make sure that I open my arms to God and everything that he says, everything, every will he has for my life. I say, God, I'm embracing everything you are, everything you're telling me. Be an example, and let's be an example for the children that we have as well. And then it says, Therefore, so because you are a temple of the living God, go out from their midst, be separate from them, and touch no unclean thing. And that's hard a bit. But again, it doesn't say do not be friends with them. But what it says is that touching involves participation. Okay, if I touch something, and it says touch no unclean thing, why? Because it's polluting. When you touch unclean things, it's like a virus that spreads. And in relationships, it's sometimes the same. I remember when I was like, one of the relationships in the past, uh, it's it's like a virus that gets hold of all your life. And then when she broke up with me, I was like, I don't want to live anymore. I couldn't like any other girl. Literally, I tried, I couldn't. And I I wanted to commit suicide. This is the thing. I went out to the seventh floor, and I said, I'm looking to, to just do it. Because I couldn't live without her in my life. <laughs> Who was I worshipping then? But I didn't do it because I was afraid that I might not die when I saw then I had to live with the shame. <laughs> and then I thought, and then I thought why, why, why don't I just stab myself in the heart by myself? Okay, what if I miss? And again, I'm not dying. No? <laughs> but then, <laughs> and I said, I cannot do this. So I even thought that I have like, spiritual issues. So I took like three days of fasting. And I said, God, I'm looking for you. Then the third day, I know it's quite biblical, and I didn't look for it to be the third day, but it happened. I felt God's presence coming in my heart so much, and it, he freed me from the fake love of serving for that girl. Now, the problem was that I was liking too, my, too many girls after, but that was something else. But God freed me. <laughs> God freed me. And this is real thing, okay? I had to learn how to deal with relationships after. But touch, touching no unclean thing, it's a matter of, polluting our spiritual lives. It's a matter of a virus that spreads. That's why it says do not touch it. Be with them. But before you touch something, you make a step and take another step and third step. So before you touch, make sure that about the first step that you are doing. Before your, th- your children touch someone, even physically, you can go there if you want to. It will pollute their minds, especially as boys, I know. If she, if she, if she, if she gives me space, I'm holding her hand today. Tomorrow I'm holding her, tomorrow I'm holding her, her, whatever, arm, her waist, and then you know how it goes. And I've, I've, I've messed up big time. And it polluted my mind. It was what I was thinking about. I was sinning because of that. I was feeling miserable and nothing. So when God says do not be unequally yoked, it's for your own good because God wants you. God loves you. And even more than this, and I'll conclude with this, there is a promise attached to this. Do not be unequally yoked because you are the temple of the living God. If you will not do it, it says, 
that we will be welcomed by God into his family as he makes us his daughters and sons. He says, I will welcome you. I'll be your God. You'll be my sons and my daughters. And what is great about God is he is the greatest. And the, the greater the promise, sir, the greater is the promise. When God promises something, it will happen. You can, both God and Tim can promise me one million pounds. It's the same promise. But God is much greater. And I'm believing in the promise because God says it. When God promises that I will welcome you in my family, you'll be my son, you'll be my daughter. I want you to belong to me because I love you. This is the great promise. And it's happening. It will, it will happen. He will welcome us. He'll be our father and we'll be his. No matter what happens in the world, we know we are secure in his hands. I hope you know this. No matter what people say about our future, you know, we know that God is in control of our future. No matter what the news show, we know that God is in control of everything. If the TV news is bad news, we know that God news is good news. And this will always stand. If, if the TV uh, promotes Project Fear, I know that God will promote Project Grace and pro- Project Love and Project Kindness and Project Second, Second Start, New Beginning. This is what God does. So ha- be strong in your identity in God because then you'll know what decisions to make in life. You'll know how not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers and you'll know that no matter what the news say, no matter what the people choose, we know that we belong to the kingdom of God. And ultimately, what matters the most is what God says. And even if all the world would be against me, I know that I'm secure in his sense because he is my father. He's the one that is great, that promises things. And when he promises something, it will happen. He cannot, it cannot not happen. So I just want to encourage you, do not give up. And Adam, can you? <laughs> do not give up. And make sure, make sure that you know that you identify in your heart and in your mind with God. At the core of your heart, at the core of your soul and mind, God needs to be there. And I am worshiping God with everything that I am. I am worshiping God with all my heart and all my mind. And if I am to welcome a girl in my life, I want to make sure that she worships my God. The first thing I said to my girlfriend was this, I want you to love God more than you ever love me. This is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. I want you to love God with everything you are. And I will help you. And you will help me. And together we'll grow. But that was the foundation of when we said yes to each other in terms of uh, being together in a relationship. Because I love God. And many relationships before, I gave up and we split. Because I wanted to do what God wants me to do. And it wasn't easy. And maybe you feel like in your heart, there are some things that God is speaking today. Maybe there are some relationships you shouldn't really be in just yet, let's say. Maybe you're like me, finding all sorts of excuses, thinking that you're the strongest person in the world, as I used to think, that I was the center of the world. And it's not like that. And I want to tell you that God is honoring the decisions we make for Him in life. And He will welcome us with arms wide open every single time. And you should feel no condemnation because you are in Christ. Do not, do not let the enemy bring lies to your mind. Know this, you are God's daughter, you are God's son, we are God's children. We are in his arms, and the promises he has for our lives will happen. And when it comes to not being unequally yoked, the question you should ask is this, are you worshiping 
the real and living God? Are you the temple of the living God? Everything else should not really happen. And remember that every association we have in life must be part of God's calling. If my calling is to love God with everything I am, I want to make sure that my friends will know about this and I will tell them or persuade them that they need to love God with everything they are. Amen.